here are these set rules for how to woo a woman. How do you woo a woman, Richard? You ignore them. That really tingles my dingles. <laughs> Let's leave your dingles out of this for the moment. <laughs> And this is We Used to Be the Smart Kids. Hey, we're back. Yeah, well, we took a break, but you didn't even know. No, nope. <laughs> haven't surprise. posted anything yet. Unexpected break. So, this is another episode of Eric Explains Stuff. They're my favorite episodes. Because <laughs> you just get to sit there and... Be adorable. Yeah. <laughs> Which is easier when no one can see my face. <laughs> so, today we're talking about Richard Linklater. Richard Linklater, and we're focusing on the movie Everybody Wants Some. came out a couple years ago. It's kind of a spiritual sequel to a couple of his earlier movies. Uh, we're just going to do a quick dive on Richard Linklater. He is from Texas, as becomes very apparent as you watch any of his movies. He started with the movie Slackers. It was this weird little slice of life thing, which he expanded upon with a bunch of his buddies around Texas. I watched it about 20 years ago, and the thing I remember most is someone trying to sell Madonna's pap smear. Do you want this petri dish of cervical cells? Yeah, they're Madonna's. <laughs> From there, he went on to his not big hit, but sleeper hit was Dazed and Confused. It was 70s kids in Texas, oddly enough, uh, walking around and driving around and drinking and having fun on the last day of school in, seven, in 1976. Again, slice of life, again, just following kids around in little vignettes, which is what he's really good at. The thing he's gotten the most critical acclaim for is the Before Trilogy, Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, Before Midnight, mm -hmm. about these two people who meet in Europe and walk around and have conversations. It's supposed to be very romantic. I've watched the first one. From that, he likes to play around with the whole time frame, and his most recent uh, big hit was Boyhood. Boyhood was filmed over the course of about 15 years with the same actors and actresses watching a boy grow up. Again, not a big hit. Not He does all these little sleeper hits that make money, have the long tails on the back end because people are like, hey, that movie. Everybody Wants Some is supposed to be the spiritual sequel to Dazed and Confused because it has sort of the same idea of just watching these kids wander around during the course of a day or so. And Boyhood, because it picks up where Boyhood left off with a boy at the first day of college finding a girl he likes. Uh, that's how he described them. So I've watched a bunch of his movies over the past week. I feel like Everybody Wants Some is this really a distillation of one of his key themes that he really explores. It's this unflinching portrayal of an exploration of performative masculinity. It's... Guys being guys. It's dude bros being dude bros. Yes. <laughs> and Linkletter is very good at writing men. Not so great at the women. So I've only seen three of his films. Mm -hmm. And I watched them this week in preparation for this. Days and Confused, Boyhood, and Everybody Wants Some. My favorite, because this is most important knowledge, was Everybody Wants Some. <laughs> I hated dazed and confused and mm -hmm. spent the whole time watching it one with a baby screaming in my ear which yes. didn't help the experience and two just with a look of 
confusion on my face. Confusion and somewhat horror, yeah. Disgust, that's the word. Yes. I was I was pretty disgusted for the entirety of Days and Confused, and I don't understand how that's <laughs> in the cultural consciousness. <laughs> that confuses me, but I, I really think that could just be like, not a generational divide, but like a, there's a, been a paradigm shift in our culture Yeah, from when that film came out in 93, mm-hmm. 90 sometime, to now, 2021. Yeah, it's a very much of its time movie, which is funny because it's a movie made about another time. Accurate, yes. Yeah. So it's set in the 70s, and it's just on the last day of school, all the new seniors haze the incoming freshmen. And it is so disturbing to watch because it is grown-ass <laughs> men running around with literal paddles. Mm-hmm. Beating the shit out of, yeah. Yes, walloping like 14-year-old kids who are crying. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I found... Most interesting that kind of stuck out was the kids are genuinely scared. Like they're yeah. they're literally running away. They drive away in a car. It's supposed to be funny. Yeah. But I couldn't find any part of it funny. After they get beat, then they're friends. Yeah. Now, now, now you're are, part of the brotherhood. It did make me wonder if you can have that kind of connection. There's a lot of nuance in the statement, so bear with me. I mean, frat houses are basically built on that. Right. Can You have you that... showed a pickle up your ass. Now you're my brother. But can you have that kind of connection without hazing the person? Mm-hmm. It would take a lot longer. Like, hazing is like a shortcut to... Yeah. I'm going to put in quotes, respect. Intimacy? Yes. It's a shortcut to intimacy. It's like having sex on the first date and suddenly you're in love. It's the same with beating the shit out of another dude. But I feel like hazing relationships might last longer than sex on the first date. It's possible. I don't think they're healthy. I'm not condoning hazing. I'm just saying that in this particular film, one of the things Linklater does really well that I was surprised by, and I shouldn't be surprised by this because I don't understand dudes, <laughs> is he really does give you a window into guys. And the way that hazing works, because it was always just horrifying to me, is demonstrated in this film. And the outcomes and how it bonds them together, weirdly enough. Yes, bonds. That's the word I want. <laughs> <laughs> So everybody wants some has its hazing. We've we've covered Days to Confuse. That's basically it. They drive around. They get their asses beat. They become friends and they chase girls. Everybody wants some. Uh, starts with Jake approaching his new college. He is a freshman scholarship student for the baseball team. The baseball team has their own houses off campus, which is a brilliant idea. <laughs> I can't remember the reason they gave, but it was really funny. Like, there's not enough room in the dorms Yeah, or the something. dorms are full, so we're just going to throw the baseball team in these two mansions. It's fine. I, I love little bits of writing like that that just give you, like, the setup doesn't make sense, so here's the explanation. Go with me. And it's like, if you can't go with me... Get off the ride. Mm -hmm. He meets the rest of the team. The team is a bunch of somewhat philosophical idiots. I like that description. I feel like other people in the world would be like, what are you talking about? That's just a group of boys. (laughs) (laughs) He meets the team. They all bond because dudes. Mm -hmm. Uh, They go out their first night to a disco. Jake makes out with a girl in a car. Everyone has sex. Not with each other, just with girls they've picked up the next night they go to the disco again and they don't have sex so they get kicked out because one of the baseball team members is a fucking weirdo and picks a fight with a bartender this guy is jay niles we're going to come back to him again he is a pitcher from detroit and he's a fucking weirdo he is the performative part of performative masculinity he thinks he needs to be the tough guy the best all the time but he's super bad at it 
it's just so accurate <laughs> thinking back it's like i saw this film but now you're explaining it to me and that's why like eric explains stuff uh he's super bad at it he picks a fight with the bartender the baseball team comes to his rescue because that's what you do you support your teammates even if they're fucking weirdos uh they get kicked out and they decide you know what enough disco we're gonna go to a country bar uh they do that they do a quick wardrobe change jane isles gets left behind because yeah we saved your ass but you're not gonna cock block us mm-hmm. they go to a country bar and they hit it off with the country girls they change clothes they blend right in they complain about country music before they go but then they all somehow know the dance to cotton eye joe because everybody knows cotton eye joe <laughs> How do you not know Cotton Eye Joe? I don't know Cotton Eye Joe. It's it's five steps. You could watch someone do it and then be like, oh, I can do it. Although they were not doing the Cotton Eye Joe that I know. <laughs> they were doing the 80s version of Cotton Eye Joe, Texas style. I bet there is like a Texas Cotton Eye Joe. Sweet. We're our own country. We have our own Cotton Eye Joe. <laughs> Before this, Jake meets a girl on campus while driving around with his buddies. He... Sticks a note on her door with flowers and a poem by Walt Whitman because Jake is the philosopher king of the baseball bros. She calls him up the next morning. They go out on a morning date with ends in ice cream and not sex. So you know that this girl isn't like the other sluts. <laughs> They're not like the other people, okay? They have yeah. their very own Cotton Eye Joe. They hit it off, but they have to split up because Jake has his first baseball practice. And she has to set up for a theater party later that night. Jake goes to his practice. The hazing continues. Like They've had to do like freshman grunt work around the house, that sort of thing. But here's where it kicks into high gear. Jake gets tricked into shoving his face into the anus of one of his other players. Mm-hmm. They play baseball. They're reminded that they're freshmen and they're competing against 22-year-olds when they get the shit kicked out of them. And then at the end, they're duct taped to the outfield wall while guys hit baseballs at them in bonding. I have so many problems with this. (laughs) And I was told this was funny. I just, number one, how are they suspended by duct tape? I've done it. It's not easy. It takes way more duct tape than what they had up there. Who have you suspended with duct tape? Uh, Freshman year, or no, sophomore year for Halloween, we duct tape a kid to the wall outside the elevator. Uh, It was supposed to be scary. I don't know. Okay, how do you get the duct tape off? It was a brick wall, so he just kind of fell off over the course of the night. But how do you get it off him? Oh, uh, painfully. These are the problems that I have with this. Yeah. You can't easily suspend a person with duct tape. (laughs) You can't suspend an unwilling person with duct tape. Well, see, they had to be willing because they had to go along with it because they wanted to be one of the dudes. Oh, this is just what happens in college. I get duct taped to a wall. and. But if you want to be one of the dudes... The person you're aspiring to be is duct taping you to a wall. Yeah. I just, this, see, this is where my understanding of life falls apart. Because this <laughs> makes no sense to me. I would not stand there and let someone duct tape me to a wall. I'd be like, ah, uh, no, thank you. Goodbye. That's the whole pack mentality. They feel like they have to go along with it or they will be the Jane Isles of the group. They will mm-hmm. be the outcasts. They will not be accepted. And that's a bigger stigma than getting the shit kicked out of you. People respect you a lot more if you just walk away and you don't fall for social pressure. Mm-hmm. They're just like, wow, that person is so cool because they're doing what they want to do. I'm just <laughs> like, yeah, because they don't want to be duct taped to the wall. Anyway, it doesn't make any sense to poor Carolyn, whatever. A lot of this doesn't make sense to Carolyn. A lot of it doesn't make sense to Eric. He's kind of picked it up by osmosis. This is why the movie was so fascinating to Eric because he is not into this kind of dude culture so it's a weird outsider's view for me it was like watching a nature special i loved it didn't want to be in it 
So then they bond after they get yes. duct taped to a wall because hazing. Yeah, it brings the four freshmen closer together because they went through this together. So now they're brothers. It's the army man. Okay, I'm yeah. done. I'm going to stop complaining no, about hazing. No, it's the boot camp mentality, yes. Because I just feel like, is this the only way to create these bonds? Is this the fastest way? Really? Is mm-hmm. it? I mean, because girls do it by sharing secrets and like helping solve each other's life problems. You yeah. sit in a circle and you do your hair and you're like... So Jimmy doesn't love me, or I really hate my mother. <laughs> Help. And like, that's how you bond. It takes yeah. one night if you're good at it. It takes 20 minutes if you're really good at it. Mm-hmm. And no one gets hurt. But You, you can even talk about your favorite TV shows and how they made you feel, and then you're closer. Not, it, not in girl culture. Really? Mm, that's too superficial. Okay. Because that's not vulnerable. Okay. So it's got to be something like really real. But the risk is, like, guys put themselves in physical danger. Girls mm-hmm. put themselves in emotional danger. Because yes. you get emotionally eviscerated mm-hmm. if you do this poorly or if or to, to the wrong girl. Yeah. 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 You're giving them emotional blackmail. But this makes sense to me. So maybe I'm giving the hazing. Maybe I'm being too hard on it. No, you definitely are not. This is how people die. Back to the plot in question. We're going to jump back a second. So... After they have their first date, the boys wander around campus complaining about people who aren't baseball players. They come to a punk house, which has one of Jake's friends from high school in it. And then they go to a punk show because they needed a third costume change. Actually, I thought what he was doing was showing the major party trends in the 80s. Country, Mm -hmm. Western, punk. I forgot the other one. Disco. I felt like it was showing how quickly they'll shift their camouflage, how quickly they'll change, how much their life is in flux at this point where they're trying to find themselves. They do talk about that directly because the one guy's like, oh, I just do it because I want to get laid. I'll pay anybody to get laid. Which is something we're going to discuss later. So after baseball practice, Jake is ready to go to this theater party. He gets bamboozled by his teammates into dragging them along. They end up going. Jake finds his girl. It's a weird-ass party. It was a great party. Yeah. It was all the theater kids on drugs, doing Alice in Wonderland, being in costume, being dominatrixes. Kind of have to see it to understand what's happening there. I have a question for you. So that theater party was completely over the top, totally exaggerated. So it was great fun in a hyper real, you know, film world. Yeah. Is that the way that they portrayed the punk show or was that how a punk show actually is? No, that's how a punk show actually is. What I wanted to know was, was the theater part the only time that felt hyper elevated? I think so. Yes. I want to explore that because it's the most feminine of the parties. Mm -hmm. And that's when the boys start to explore their feelings a little more. So it's... Linkletter's a version of exploring your feelings, which still involves being hypermasculine and explaining why your hypermasculinity is the most feminine. And just calling each other out. Yes. I see you have feelings. Ha ha. <laughs> okay, we're friends now. Yes, I have feelings and my feelings will get me laid. But I remember them getting really defensive about their feelings. Is yeah. that not correct? Uh, Finn did. Finn was the character that would not stop talking. <laughs> I hated him because he was my type when I was dumb <laughs> and young. Mm-hmm. Please explain the world to me, Finn. Uh, so ashamed. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the baseball players are very out of place, but they end up having a good time anyway because they find little niches they can fit into, whether it's drugs, whether it's the dominatrix. And Jake and his new lady love wander off into the night and explore their feelings for each other and end up kissing, making out, going back to the dorm room. It's ambiguous if they bang or not, but I'm in the camp that they did. 
They totally did. They did. <laughs> then Jake still had his pants on, so I don't know. Oh, that's like putting a foot on the floor. <laughs> you know what happened. Yeah. You just, you don't see it. They declare that they like each other, and then they go off for their first day of classes, where Jake is given further shit for liking a girl. Classes start, the movie ends, and hey, welcome to college, buddy. When, uh, when he's given shit for liking a girl, he like rises above it. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't let them, like, he doesn't give ground on that. He doesn't give ground. He gives them shit right back. And then they're like, oh, you really like her. This is not an area where we can give you shit for liking her. We can give you shit for other things. Yes. I don't know. It was a weird moment. I feel like before that in the film, anything was game. You mm-hmm. can shit talk each other for anything. Yes. They just like literally took his clothes and tried his clothes on. Stealing your records, buddy. I'm sorry. You're a freshman. This there's, is There's no limits here. Yeah, it was just a weird moment. In this particular case, because he really liked her and he said, no, I really like her in boy language. Yes. They were like, oh, okay. As opposed to, oh, you got laid and blah, you stayed all the... I don't know. I can't yeah. do it because this doesn't... It's like so weird to me. <laughs> this whole thing is so... Oh, this wasn't just sex. Congrats on your emotions. We're going to give you shit for it, but... We're not going to try and make you stop, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I think you kind of got it with, oh, this wasn't just sex. Congrats on your emotions. We're going to give you shit for it. Yeah. But there's still that feeling of like, good Acceptance. for you. You had a yeah. real feeling. Yeah. Under the baseball crazies. Mm-hmm. It's a very surface level movie, which makes the themes so much easier to see and explore, I feel like. There's not a lot of deepness to this. There's some faux deepness, which I think is meant to be faux deepness because it's college kids talking about life like they have any experience whatsoever. Linklater seems to do a really good job of showing you the dumb things that you say when you're a teenager and you're in your early 20s that you think are deep. Mm -hmm. But to portray them very realistically to the characters, but as an adult watching it, like probably if I saw these when I was a kid, I would be like, oh, that is deep. And I feel like they have that ability to revisit them and be like, you are a dumb, a dummy. Mm -hmm. Like he's not pointing and laughing when he does that. He's not pointing and laughing at anything of this when he's exploring uh, how these guys act. He's just doing a very surface level examination. He's not giving them consequences for being dumb shits. I don't know that it's a surface level examination so much as just an accurate portrayal. If it was truly surface level, I think they would have consequences for behaving like this. But they're just, they don't need consequences. If this were any other film and they acted like this, there would be consequences later on because that's how plot works. You're a dumb shit. You get consequences later on. Yeah, but it's not that kind of film. It's not that kind of film. And that's what he really excels at. Doesn't it make it deeper, not surface level? All right. It felt surface level to me. It's a deeper kind of movie, but the way it was portrayed just felt like you were scraping the surface of these people's lives. You're not getting a deeper examination of them, I don't feel. Okay, I'm going to let you continue explaining this. <laughs> but I'm going to keep that in the back of my mind. Because it is a thing that I wonder. Is it is it surface level or is it like closet deep? It might be closet deep. I'm going to be digging deep in the closet on this. So <laughs> Let's go. Find me those heels I lost last year. <laughs> like I said, it's an unflinching examination of performative masculinity. It takes the good and the bad and just puts it out there. And lets the audience decide and lets the audience see without actually being in the scene what it looks like from the outside. It's like a documentary, but not, obviously. These guys are constantly jockeying for position, constantly trying to one-up everyone else. I don't know if it's conscious or not, but Linkletter takes what I've seen in some psychological articles 
and says, this is how men communicate. This is how women communicate. Men are always trying to explain or be explained to. There's always a teacher and a student in a conversation. And that's how they impart wisdom, impart friendship. Hey, I'm showing you this thing I know. We're buds now. It's always men explaining to other men or men explaining to women. Women don't get to explain back, except in very rare cases where he's like, um, okay, she hasn't said anything in a while, so let's have her talk about rock and roll for a second. But otherwise, it's just men explaining their ideas, explaining their thoughts on the world. The other men in this movie just sit back and take it because that's the expected communication type in this situation. It's like, okay, you know something. I'm going to sit here and listen. I'm not going to question it. I'm going to offer questions that let you explain further. Because in this situation, they're the submissive. The other one's the dominant. The dominant is explaining how the world works. And you sit there and take it because the dominant will respect you afterwards for listening to them. He does this across his movies. It's never a conversation. It's always someone explaining what they think to someone else. I'm thinking of examples. Go ahead. This was the most egregious example that stuck out to me. In Boyhood, when Mason, who's the main character, he's a teenager and he has a girlfriend, he just explains his philosophy on life to his girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And she never says anything. She just basically is a sounding board for his ideas. Yeah. She does eventually break up with him. Well-deserved. But you're right. it's It's not a conversation. There was this 80s comic book called Cerberus. Started off as a funny animal comic book. Then the creator got really drunk and started putting a bunch of philosophy in about how men are the creators of the world and women are the void who suck up their knowledge and everything. It's really... Oh my gosh. Yes. And I feel like this is kind of an extension of that. I don't... I'm not saying that Richard Linkletter read Cerberus and said, yes, that's the truth of the world. But men expound. Women just absorb it. I'm going to challenge that. Go. Only because I don't think Linkletter is a misogynist. I don't think he hates women. No. I think he doesn't understand them. No. So in the same way that whenever I write, I write pretty much exclusively about women and the men in my stories (laughs) are just cardboard cutouts. I think that is how he treats women. He understands men. He's more interested in men. He's more Mm -hmm. interested in the relationships between men. And so women fall by the wayside. I don't think it's because he thinks anything about women. No, I don't think this is a conscious effort. I think this is just... The the only thing I'm challenging is I don't think it's nefarious. Like no. I don't think he thinks women are empty-headed because no. he just doesn't think about it. No, he doesn't. It's just women are there to be talked to for him. Because he's he's looking at something else. Yeah. It's the male gaze turned on the men. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of shirtless dudes in these movies. But also just like the fascination with yes, guys. Yes, fascination with men and their yeah. mysterious ways. He makes a point in almost every one of his movies to point out that, yes, sexism kind of blows, guys. Don't do that. I mean, he's almost making fun of feminism with it. In the Dazed and Confused, where he has the girls in the girls' bathroom saying Gilligan's Island is this sexist fantasy for men and going off about that. It's accurate, but it's also pointing at feminists like, this is what you're arguing about? Mary Ann was a sex symbol on Gilligan's Island? And it's like, you're pointing it out, but you don't really know what to do with it. Yeah. Because it doesn't mesh with your own internal monologue. So he's like, yes, feminist, you have a point. But I don't know what to do with that because I'm over here. <laughs> and in Everybody Wants Some, they have Finn saying, yes, I agree with the ERA. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> he uses it as a pickup line, but he's obviously put some thought into this. Mm-hmm. So he's agreeing with the ERA, but I'm still going to use it because girls are these mysterious creatures and maybe this will get me an in. 
Yeah, the girls in his films are really proto-manic pixie dream girls. Or coded as men. Who's coded as a guy? The one redhead in Dazed and Confused. Oh, yeah. Like, she can have these high-end discussions with her weird-ass buddies. I think she was coded as androgynous, honestly. Okay. I'll I'll take that as well. But androgynous defaulting to men in this scenario because Richard Linklater knows men. Fair enough, yeah. And also, when a guy was interested in her, it was treated as weird. It was treated as weird, and she all of a sudden lost brain cells as soon as a guy was interested in her, as soon as she became female. That's how love works, man. You just get (laughs) stupid. (laughs) The entire thrust of this movie, and most of his movies, honestly, of the possible exception of boyhood during the childhood days, is that all male energy is devoted to getting laid. There's no secondary idea everything you're doing is in pursuit of seeing someone's tits that is so indoctrinated in me that even saying that i'm like well yeah that's all guys care about right (laughs) duh but Lingletter just views that as fact through these movies everything these guys do every humiliation they go through it's to eventually see a naked woman they can change their outfits they can change who they are they can change every idea they have in their head as long as it means there's going to be sex at the end i feel like that's what they say like on in the script on the page on the in, page. in the film that's what the characters are saying to each other but their actions are really in pursuit of getting to know one another mm-hmm. they do very little to actually try to get laid besides put on a costume and appear somewhere and then spout a bunch of bullshit but the getting laid is their currency in their male culture. It's how they get ahead. Like if you if you go past what they're saying, it's not actually what they're doing. I can see that. Gonna respectfully like okay, go ahead. so argue with me. They need to get laid to use that currency in their culture because that is the be all end all argument. When you're jockeying for a position, when you're saying, I'm the teacher, you're the student, you shut up and listen, it's Have you gotten laid? No, you're a virgin. I know better because I have gotten laid. I have the most pussy bucks. That's the conversation ender. That's the argument ender in this whole thing. That's their appeal to authority. (laughs) The pussy is the authority. Worship. (laughs) Worship the pussy, everyone. I always felt like that was just a way of getting each other to shut up. Like it wasn't actually an argument ender. It was like, I'm done with you. Have you ever gotten laid? Which is just a cue that's like, I'm, I'm done with this conversation. Stop. I mean, it's something that has gone through all of the films I've seen, even in boyhood. You can't tell me what to do. I've seen more naked breasts than you. Uh, they have this with the boys in the band, in the pre-built house before when they're doing the little camp out. Mm-hmm. It's, oh, this little eighth grader is talking back to me. Well, I've touched a boob. So you have absolutely no standing here and you can just shut up and keep being an eighth grader and I can keep being the dominant in this relationship, even if you're smarter than me. But I thought that the point of that scene was to point that out. And when you when you point out that dynamic in eighth graders, when they're clearly just talking out their butts, it provides a commentary on that whole idea because it's ludicrous. It's absolutely ludicrous to but watch it. But it continues through into Everybody Wants Some when McCready... McCready is the alpha male, he's the best baseball player, and he has gotten the most pussy. So he appeals to that when he's talking about how to deal with women, how how he is the authority on this subject. He says that everyone in this house has gotten laid more than you, except Nez, because he's a virgin. And he uses that to put Nez down. 
Yeah, I think that it's definitely used as a ranking system. Yes. But it's like, I don't think it's an argument under. And granted, I didn't watch this film with this idea in mind. I just watched it as if I was watching Apes while David Attenborough <laughs> lulled me to sleep. But I, I don't think it's an argument under. I think it's like step one. Step one, if you haven't gotten laid, you can't talk. It's like when people become parents and they're like, <laughs> step one, do you have kids? No, then you can't talk. Like you can't enter the arena unless you have unless you've graduated from childhood. But once you get in the arena, I mean, the ranking system doesn't entirely come back to how many women you've slept with. Like if you take McCready, he mm-hmm. says he slept with the most women. I don't think it matters if that's true. I think that's just a shorthand for I'm top dog. But I'm top dog because I'm the best at baseball. I'm the best looking. Mm-hmm. I'm the one who gets to boss everybody else around. It's not like he could have slept with no one. It doesn't matter. It's just that's the shorthand. Okay. I have the most tally marks, even if they're not real. <laughs> they're like charisma points. But that points. keeps the younger generation saying, oh, if I just slept with enough women, I could be McCready. That's, yeah, I would agree with that. It's like if you don't know that that's just a code, mm-hmm. then, yeah, you're chasing tail all night. Yeah. Which doesn't help you <laughs> actually get with the boys because you got to understand the boys to get with the boys. But yeah. Oh, because Jane Niles was lying about being with so many women mm-hmm. and is called out on it. And he does not quite get that either you need to make your lie believable or you need to follow through with it. You need to have that actual pussy currency. So Jane Niles is the... the... Jane Niles is the fucking weirdo pitcher who is aggressive and tries to be the alpha dog and is very bad at it. Yeah. So in the second night before he gets thrown out of the bar for fighting the bartender. He goes up to Coma. They all have these delightful names, Coma, and says, yeah, I've been grinding on five girls all night long. And he's like, no, you haven't. I've watched you. He makes the pussy play and he gets denied because he's obviously lying about it. It's the implied, no, you don't have this currency. You can try to pretend you do, but we all know you don't. I would go with that. His issue is that, you already said this, it's that he doesn't even know how to speak that language. He could... He's like an ESL student. He has the broad strokes. He knows what the words mean, but he doesn't know the underlying meaning to what he's saying. And as a result of this, they view women as this monolithic other. There are these set in stone rules for how you score a woman and they all follow it and they all pass it on like tribal knowledge this is another thing in Linkletter's letters he has the older generation explaining to the younger generation here are these set rules for how to woo a woman it's not questioned these are the rules it's this pickup culture but it's viewed as law they have the younger characters follow this law And it works 90% of the time. They have Jake be slightly more romantic, whatever. In Dazed and Confused, they have Mitch, the young freshman, follow the older boy's advice and end up making out with a girl at sunrise because he listened to them. Even in Everybody Wants Some, the rest of the baseball team keep giving Jake advice. They give Buter advice. Buter being another freshman pitcher who is a hayseed from the middle of Texas with a deep southern accent. So they rename him Buter because... It's funny. It's funny to denigrate your teammates and give them names they don't want. I don't get the joke again. But if I think about it in girl terms, I'm like, well, I mean, you can scapegoat a girl if you want to bond all the other girls together. You just got to be more clever about Mm -hmm. it. But in this male-dominated culture, it's a way of bonding with him, despite his 
angst about the name because they're trying to bring him into the fold. Hey, you have this difference from us, so we're going to make fun of you until you stop being different. Or you'll just be our token different person and we're just going to keep acknowledging that. I think you are like 50% of the way there. I don't think it's to assimilate him and make him less different. I think it's that's the thing that makes you you. But I'm not a dude. Because <laughs> <laughs> despite all this, Peter Perkins uh, stays pretty much an outsider throughout the movie. He's part of the team. He talks to them, but he does not party with them. He does not hang out with them. Well, he doesn't play by the rules. No, he doesn't. When Jake wants to get laid because they're roommates and he goes and asks him, hey, can I have the room? Peter's like, no. And he gives him a bunch of shit for it. But his unwillingness to play by the rules, like in comparison to Niles, the douchebag who wants to play by the rules but doesn't speak the language, Mm -hmm. Peter's like, I see your rules. I think they're dumb. And I'm not going to do that. And it frustrates him that he's not in the fold because he won't play by the rules. He's an outsider, but not because he's been pushed out. No, he's an outsider. And they're trying to draw him in with the Buter Perkins thing. They're trying to, hey, we're paying attention to you, dumbass. Come hang out with us. And he's like, yeah, you're all assholes. Yeah. The most masculine cowboy of them is like, no, I'm not playing by your rules. I'm not playing by your dude law. In any other film, he would be the main character. Yeah. <laughs> we would like him the most. But Linkletter perpetuates that dude law. He has the guy who speaks it, understands it, flows with it as the main character to show how cool he is. Who pushes back against it when he feels like it's been focused on him a little too much. Mm-hmm. He's like, no guys, dude law says you move on to Buter Perkins now. I'm done. So yeah, they all have these roles. They explain to Buter hey, here's how you deal with your girlfriend who might be pregnant. She's not really, she's lying to you because women do that. In all fairness, she probably was. Yeah. Like the setup for that, I wouldn't even pick on this particular moment because it didn't It, it didn't make women look good, but also it was like accurate. <laughs> I missed my period by two days. Come home. They were completely right. Yes. She 100% was like, are you going to pick me or are you going to pick baseball Mm -hmm. and she was satisfied and he got to go back to his baseball and not sleep with college girls they give him this this is the way the world works advice which is again the whole dynamic between the older and younger generation between dudes outside of their relationship with women the relationship with men is completely confrontational there's no give and take we've discussed that the conversations are one-sided you listen you learn and you move on until it's your turn to teach about something you know despite all that there is some genuine warmth between the characters that's what's so foreign to me that they can be so confrontational so abrasive but have it mean i love you dude we've just met but we're now bros yeah it's like they pass the shit stick but they also pass the the love stick You have to have both sticks in play in the talking circle, in the bro circle, (laughs) in order for them to work. Like, you have to make fun of each other, but you also have to stop and listen when that person has, like, the stage. Yeah. And that is, it's the same dynamic as hazing. It's the same (laughs) dynamic. You mock them, and through the mocking, you become bonded. I I don't understand. I'm sorry. I'm so stuck on this, because if someone mocks the shit out of me, I get offended. I don't like it. That's you need not. to have that closeness before the mockery starts. Otherwise, it's just e- being a dick. The mockery comes out of the intimacy as opposed to the intimacy coming out of the mockery. Yeah. How does this work? <laughs> but yeah, there's moments of genuine warmth. When there's this vulnerability, the dudes step down from the mockery and be like, yeah, Buter, you're going to be fine. 
but we're still going to make fun of you, but you're going to be fine. When Finn tells Jake at the punk show, you're pulling off the duck feet, you're fine, dude. That is almost the most intimate movie in the <laughs> or intimate moment in the movie. They use this mockery to enforce their version of masculinity. They say, here's the line you cannot cross. This is the stupidest example, but while they're shooting pool, this one kid who's the bitch boy of the entire house, he's just this socially awkward, hippie-looking kid, uses the, I don't know what it's called in pool terms, but it's the thing you lay on the table so you can set up longer shots. The bitch stick. The bitch stick is what they call it, yes. They have these laws in their head. If you go outside of this arbitrary idea they've set up, they will drag you back down. And you see that more at the party where Finn is pulled back down and he comments on it, saying they're a bunch of jealous-ass crabs pulling people back down into the pot. They mock Finn for lying to get with a girl. Yeah. And he gets really offended. I can't remember what they say to Finn. I know he storms off and then they all kind of laugh awkwardly like, oops, we went too far that time. Yeah. They say... I would rather die than tell a girl that astrology says I'll be a good father. You've been lying to girls this entire fucking movie, dudes. But that's a step too far. That's a step too far when you denigrate yourself to get with a girl. Is it the astrology or is it the father part that's denigrating? Mm, Mm. I don't know. But yeah, this enforcement of masculinity, this idea that you need to conform to what we see as the way of the world. Otherwise, you're not a man. You're not one of us. You're an outsider. The wide variety of what's acceptable inside that masculine space and what is so arbitrarily outside of it is so interesting to me. Like shooting pool, being a punk, playing video games, that's okay. But this one arbitrary idea where you look weak for using this extra help for wanting something outside of what everyone else is using. It's ableist. Yes, it's ableist. <laughs> I, shouldn't, I don't mean to laugh, but no. like that is the word for what that yeah, is. Yeah, and I that think. ableism with that toxic masculinity just comes together into this really toxic pile. Yeah. In a Linklater film, it's not questioned. It's, it's not questioned. It's the law. This is, you can't tell a girl you're going to be a good father. You can't use the bitch stick. They're equal offenses under bro code. I don't think that they're like enforced either because the films are treated as nostalgia pieces. Mm -hmm. So because we're looking at the culture of the 70s and Days and Confused, because we're looking at the 80s and everybody wants some, and I think because every there's like a lot of abusive guys in boyhood, honestly. That's the that's the unflinching portrayal of mas- of performative masculinity. The performative masculinity, when it goes too far, becomes these drunk abusive assholes. Yeah. So he's showing the good with the bad. The good is this loving abusive relationship between the baseball bros it's where hazing is effective yes like at its best hazing is effective in bro code because you know the lines you never go too far nobody dies and you get these great bonds out of it yeah like a lifetime bond because someone duct taped you to a wall and then shot a softball at your head Mm -hmm. you could have died but you didn't so woo and after that is the first time that buter actually has a conversation with the rest of his teammates He becomes more of an insider after being an outsider for the whole film, after not falling for their shit, after not giving up his room so Jake can get laid. And it brings him in, and hazing works in the Linkletter universe. I think what's frustrating is that he's not wrong. There's a reason. It's been done for years and years and years. Yeah, when it doesn't work, it doesn't work so badly. That shit gets caught on fire and people die. 
people die, you emotionally destroy people. Mm-hmm. If this doesn't work to bond you, you wreck the person's ability to bond in many cases. Like mm-hmm. it, it only works for these people. And so holding it up as the gold standard is like kind of messed up. But I do sort of like that there's a film that shows how it would work or why mm-hmm. it works. Aside from Full Metal Jacket or whatever nonsense. I haven't seen no one is surprised I've not watched Full Metal Jacket. Come on. No, Full Metal Jacket also shows how it doesn't work for Private Gomer. I don't fucking know. It's been a while. How he kills himself because he can't stand boot camp being hazed anymore. Anyway, that's Kubrick. We're not talking about Kubrick today. <laughs> Another time. Another day. I never want to take on Kubrick. <laughs> Everyone will come out of the walls and just be like, you dummy. And I'll be like, yes. Yeah. No, I no, used to be smart. I yeah. mean, I'm not anymore. <laughs> I'm really not. Can we all just go back to Doctor Strange Love? We like Doctor Strange Love. That segues really nicely into my final point for this. This whole nostalgia kick, it is it is Linkletter's bread and butter. He has this not completely honey-coated view of the past, or some of the honey spoiled. Honey doesn't spoil. How dare you talk about the wrong food? Rose-colored glasses. Rose-colored glasses with a few flaws in them. He is an amazingly talented filmmaker. He has this way with dialogue that is fucking astounding to me. He has this naturalistic sound while still being witty, but he knows when to put in these social faux pas to make it seem more real. He knows how to use these awkward silences to make it seem like, yeah, this guy actually would say that and then get shunned for it. I think he writes dialogue less like a script and more like a play. Yes. But then the way that he films things... Like, he's very comfortable in the film medium. Yes. It's just a cool marriage of two disparate skills. But he keeps coming back to this same well. I think the movie School of Rock was the most outside of his wheelhouse. And even then, he was relying on nostalgia with songs and Dewey trying to go back to his rock and roll roots. I don't know. I feel like he, he knows that this is something he relies on and he uses that in his films to comment on it the character willoughby in this film the 30 year old trying to go back to college that is link letter and he can see that jesus christ just let college go but then has the characters excuse him saying i can understand why you would do that richard link letter i can understand why you keep going back to high school keep going back to college same with ben affleck's character in uh, dazed and confused they're a little less sympathetic to it but they're not sympathetic at all I, but i also think it's interesting that dazed and confused came before everybody wants some so like yeah. if we follow the idea that that's link letter through then when he made dazed and confused he was like this is kind of gross that this is the well you're going to yeah this is this is what i'm familiar with so i'm gonna get held back a grade and kick the shit out of little kids or i'm gonna go back to high school and make a movie about high school and i do think it's accurate that when you are in i'm i don't know when he made that but for my life, when I was in my early to mid-20s, I was very nostalgic for school. Mm-hmm. And it was frustrating to me because it was like, move on. Like yeah. you, you spent so much of your life waiting to get out of school. Now you are. Why are you nostalgic for it? Like, it feels gross. Yeah. Now in my 30s, it's kind of like, yeah, everybody does that. Like, it's not a big deal. You get nostalgic for what passed. It, it's a little bit gross, but... I can understand why you'd want to go back to this more innocent time for you, this time where you felt like the world was open to you. And I do feel like when, you, when you're when you nostalgic, everything has that golden feeling that he's really good at imbuing in his films. Mm-hmm. But he also lets you see... See the cracks in the facade. See, yeah. hey, everything wasn't perfect then. 
Boyhood is based entirely just the feat of Boyhood, which was mm-hmm. filmed as a series of vignettes over 10 years with the same actors. I don't think anybody's ever done that before. No. That is, I want to call it like a nostalgic triumph. No one could make that film. No one could get that film made unless they had this understanding of time and nostalgia. And Yes. And what he did when he filmed the bits in the time, he realized what people would be nostalgic for later. He's like, oh my gosh, the landlord sketch. I remember that. Or, oh, she's singing Britney Spears. Everyone knows Britney Spears in that one song. She, They know exactly what this kid is doing and what this kid is watching. He has like a really natural knack for catching the iconic feeling of a time period. Yes, even so, while he's in the time period. Which is uncanny. Yeah. His whole life is like a memory. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense, but I feel like being in his head, you'd constantly be like 10 years ahead of everybody else remembering this time, which has got to be very uncomfortable. And he sees how people will see it in the future, and that's a really cool skill to have, I'm not going to lie. And even looking back, he can see what people will remember about an era. Right. And what people will forget, and when reminded of, will be like, oh, yeah, that. Are his films like a tribute to the 70s and 80s, or are they an accurate portrayal? I don't know, because I didn't Yeah, we weren't that. there. Yeah, but they feel very real. They feel like real characters interacting with this time period. And his teenagers feel like actual teenagers, not adults pretending to be teenagers. Like, they don't feel like period pieces. They feel like movies that could have been made during that time. When I found out Days and Confused was made in the 90s, I genuinely thought that film was made in the 70s. Yeah, it's not a lot of, hey, look at this one thing you remember. It's, hey, this one thing you remember is in the background, and that's where it was then, too. It feels so natural. So, we're all looking forward to Richard Linklater's 90s film in a couple of years. Richard Linklater, when he takes on 2020 and the Me Too movement. (laughs) It's going to be oh God, great. His mind's going to explode. Women protagonists? What the shit <laughs> what? is this? That's so rude. I feel like we, we picked a lot on the gender dynamics. Yeah. But that's what we do. But that's what really drew me to this movie. It's not a deep movie. It's the closet deep we were talking about. Someone could t- watch this movie and someone could watch Days and Confuse and be just like, antics. Yeah, that happened. That was funny. They got hit in the nuts. But intentionally or not, he has this portrayal of dudes and their habits and their interactions that is so fascinating to, well, you as a woman and me as someone who's outside of this dynamic, who's kind of always been outside this dynamic, and it's weird to watch. He has a really good way of laying out the rules of dude culture that you end up understanding as you go along without explicitly spelling them out. Most media is written from the point of view, most mainstream media is written from the point of view of a white hetero man. We Mm -hmm. know that. Okay, cool. Great. But Linkletter has the ability to show you that point of view when you're an outsider as opposed to just sort of having to infer it by being in that position all the time. Yes, he explores that point of view rather than just having it as the default. Yes, which is like really cool to watch and probably what i found so fascinating about everybody wants them i was just like oh my gosh so much of what i've seen in life makes more sense richard linkletter he's fascinating and i'm excited to see what he does next but everybody wants some a lot deeper than i than it lets on that's that's my conclusion for this i like it yeah we can end that way because we don't have to write essays anymore yeah that was deeper than i thought <laughs> Done. Done. Hand that assignment in. (laughs) That's a solid B, B plus. (laughs) This has been We Used to Be the Smart Kids. I'm Carolyn. I'm Eric. Join us next time when we fail to discuss something deep. Yeah, there we go.
Thanks for listening. Our intro music is from Tim Beak. You can find him at timbeak.com. And our outro music is by One Man Symphony, and you can find them at onemansymphony.com.